0: Hello, and welcome to this episode of Extra Extra, your premium companion to the morning announcements. I'm your host, Sammy Sage, and today I am really fired up to talk about Fox News. I'm recording this Saturday morning, February 25th, and if you're listening in the future or far in the future, the big things in the zeitgeist right now are Republican-run states that are trying to basically enact what they call culture war issues, but make them into legislation. So what I wanted to explore in this episode today is a question of how did we get here and what I've always kind of blamed as one of the major forces for why the country is so polarized and why there's so much misinformation, particularly on the right, and why there is a willingness to go along with things that are blatantly false. And the answer to that is Fox News. Fox News' domination over Uh, conservative thinking, if you can even call it that at this point, didn't happen overnight. And I really wanted to take a look at the history of Fox News, how they formed, how their culture continued to sort of double down on itself in order to create the situation they're in now. And I'm choosing to focus on this right now because Fox is finally facing some serious financial consequences of their own making, as I'm sure you've been following the morning announcements this week, Dominion Voting Systems is suing Fox News for $1.6 billion, claiming that they defamed, they knowingly defamed them by saying that uh, Dominion voting machines were switching votes from Trump to Biden and claiming that they were committing election fraud. And this is obviously a really big deal because in a defamation suit, part of uh, uh, someone being liable for defamation is that they have to Know that they were lying, and in the course of this case, a lot of proof has come out that Fox News anchors knew that they were Fox News, not just anchors, producers, uh, Rupert Murdoch himself, the ownership. It was widely known it by anyone making any sort of editorial decision or revenue decision at the network that they were lying about the election results, that Biden was the rightful winner. And what we've been able to see through discovery in this lawsuit is the way that Fox News ultimately came to decide to double down on being pro-coup, pro-insurrection. And this was not just something that came out of nowhere, obviously. This was something that built over decades. So this episode is going to try to attempt to explain how Fox News got to this point where you know they're actually considering retracting a, a an electoral call that they made around Arizona for the sake of not losing their audience to a competitor while we don't know how the dominion suit is going to play out it might be the straw that will break the fox news camel's back but the truth is that these lies are really nothing new for fox news not to mention the culture of the network which you know has been imbued in its fabric since it started in 1996, Um, they faced controversies with advertisers in the past with sexual harassment, and yet they have been able to let it bounce off of them. So this episode is going to focus on the history of Fox News, how they got Americans hooked on them, because it didn't happen overnight. Right now, we have to go back to my personal favorite decade when things were simple and pleasant, mostly because I was under 10 years old, the 90s. For the established name and blockbuster cable ratings that Fox News generates, it is actually only three years older than the, quote, vintage 99 American Girl dolls. So let's go back to the 90s, which in my brain will be perpetually ten years ago. While I was trying to sneak figuring out what Sex in the City was really about and why I wasn't allowed to watch it, while recovering from the extremely painful blow of the breakup of the Spice Girls, just one year after I wasn't able to get tickets to their concert, a little Australian man across the world was trying to figure out how to break into the American news market. Yeah, the owner of the most dominant cable news channel in America isn't even American, and yet he just can't help but get his hands on our politics. For anyone who's playing Nepo Baby or not, here's another one for you. After Rupert Murdoch's death in the 1950s, he inherited two Australian newspapers. He had already established a successful media empire in Australia and in the UK, but he had yet to achieve the same level of success in the United States. And everybody knows that you are no one until you have tried to destroy the fabric of American society through the use of a news product that you bought with your inheritance. They're not gonna advertise it anywhere, but that is the real American dream. Rupert Murdoch made a name for himself as an investigatory journalist, losing friends and leaving people dead and bloody along the way by pioneering the clickbait newspaper title. And he was credited with creating the modern tabloid, He focused on eye-catching headlines that centered around scandals and controversy, truth be damned, which of course resulted in a spike in circulation. Throughout the earlier years of his career, he purchased a large number of newspapers in Australia, the UK, and the US. News Corp, which was his company, came to own more than 800 companies in over 50 countries, giving him a net worth of $13.9 billion. Murdoch also wasn't interested in making his money with ethical journalism, An example of this was when he was actually forced to shut down their UK paper, News of the World, after the massive phone hacking scandal. You might remember this broke in 2005 and News of the World shut down in 2011. I'm not gonna spend a ton of time on it here because this isn't technically related to Fox News, but it is just sort of demonstrative of how Rupert Murdoch is willing to run his empire. Um, But if you wanna look into that, um, Sienna Miller was one of the celebrities who was hacked. The Royals were also victims of this. And ultimately, it led to a series of legal cases and investigations by newspapers, the UK parliament, and police that ultimately found evidence of industrial-scale phone hacking. So that was essentially how they were getting their scoops, which is not technically legal. So Murdoch first attempted to get access to the US news market in a major way by making a failed bid for CNN. That failed, obviously, which is ultimately what led him to make Fox News in 1996, and obviously, the American broadcast market is not so easy to break into. At the time, you had the big three market—sorry, uh, the big three broadcast companies: ABC, CBS, and NBC—and CNN also had obviously a pretty strong footprint. But those were the main channels that were being aired, and because everything was through cable TV, uh, Murdoch had to get himself uh, into the cable companies and had to agree to let to get them to carry Fox. Now, normally the way that would work is that the cable companies would pay the broadcast company to be able to air them, like they would pay NBC. However, Rupert Murdoch was not going to let his endeavor to take over right-wing news in America fail. He wanted a conservative counterweight to those mainstream broadcast companies so rather than let the cable companies pay him to air Fox, he instead paid them as much as $20 a subscriber to get Fox News into 25 million homes. This was an unheard of payment and an unheard of arrangement. But of course, the cable companies are not saying no to $20 a subscriber from an Australian billionaire. Now, Rupert Murdoch may have been the money man behind the network, but to really understand Fox News, you actually have to understand the news network's first CEO, and arguably one of the most impactful individuals on media in the past century, unfortunately. Roger Ailes. Uh, Here it's
1: very clear, Rupert uh, gives you the budget, gives you the time, and says get it done. If you don't, uh, then of course you fail. But uh, I, I operate better in that kind of a climate. And I respect, uh, I think that's the reason Rupert's had so many successes.
0: That was Roger Ailes talking about how Rupert let him run with whatever he wanted to do with Fox, as long as it made money and was successful. Which is why it is so important that we understand Roger Ailes. As old American cinema has taught us, we cannot talk about a media mogul without figuring out their rosebud. And luckily we actually have that answer. Plus a lot more information on the man behind Fox. That is thanks to reporter Gabriel Sherman. He wrote the definitive biography on Roger Ailes called The Loudest Voice in the Room, later adapted into a Showtime show. And in the biography, one of Roger Ailes' colleagues described Roger Ailes' rosebud story. He said that when Roger was young, he was diagnosed with hemophilia and often bedridden, and his father decided to teach him a cruel lesson. He instructed little Roger to jump into his arms from the top bunk of his bunk bed, but then step back and let his son fall to the floor. Don't ever trust anybody. That was the message that his father, Robert Sr. sent. Roger Ailes got started on this path when he was 27 and working as an executive producer on something called The Mike Douglas Show. That's where he met Republican presidential candidate at the time, Richard Nixon, who appeared as a guest. After meeting, Richard Nixon hired the 27-year-old Roger Ailes as his chief television advisor which for nearly any other candidate seems like it would be a very fun job. Richard Nixon, who famously looked horrible on TV, actually embraced the idea of TV, largely at Roger Ailes' urging. And he was kind of the one who planted the seed of Fox News. He believed that his Republican supporters needed their own news from a network that would lead a brutal, vicious attack on the opposition.
1: Because people have got to know whether or not their president is a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything
0: I've got. And as helpful as Roger Ailes was to Richard Nixon, ultimately helping getting him elected, the thing that Richard Nixon taught Roger Ailes was the political power of resentment against a liberal cultural elite. Nixon tried to portray himself as the voice of the forgotten American and sought to mobilize popular rage against forces that opposed him. Sounds familiar. For the latter half of the 20th century, Roger Ailes was a staple of right-wing politics. Unfortunately, when it comes to politicians and the media, Roger Ailes knows his shit. Appointed head of the Fox News Channel by media mogul Rupert Murdoch, Roger transformed cable news, pushing Fox to the forefront. Years before, to get Nixon elected, he created the modern town hall debate. To get Reagan elected, he made him address the elephant in the room. I will not make
1: age an issue of this campaign. I am not going to exploit my opponent's youth and inexperience.
0: To get George H.W. Bush elected, somebody did the Willie Horton ads. Roger denies it was him a lot. That was Charlize Theron as Megyn Kelly in the movie Bombshell. Roger L's final career era before he went to go start Fox News was working on behalf of Big Tobacco to derail health care reform in 1993. Basically, uh, Hillary was focusing on health care reform while her husband was president, they obviously hated that a woman was getting so involved in serious policy because this Hillary care package was supposed to be funded by a $1 a pack tax on cigarettes so to block the proposal big tobacco the companies paid Roger Ailes to produce an ad campaign where he was high where he would highlight that real people were being affected by this tax and Hillary personally was coming to take your cigarette like right out of your mouth she was just going to take it and put it out right in front of you Anyway, the same time that Roger Ailes had been working on this big tobacco campaign, he had also been working at NBC, specifically at CNBC and a network that at the time was known as America's Talking, which then later became MSNBC. That same year in 1993, Rupert Murdoch hired away Roger Ailes to help him build the Fox News channel. Together they set out to create a news network that would offer a conservative leaning alternative to the mainstream media. They believed that there was a significant audience for news and commentary that reflected conservative values, but that this audience was underserved by the existing news networks. They spent a few years together developing the Fox News Channel, and it was finally launched on October seventh, 1996. A Libra.
1: Listen, person. cut his mic. This, hey, listen, Chad, stop. Can, can still stop let me. Finish. Stop, stop. Chad, I going to test if you're an honest man. individual in right. our bodies. I'm and sorry to cut you act. off. I know not, we're in some controversial
0: fair. stuff here, but it's my religion didn't fair. teach me that. But thank you very much for being I know here. It's a right
1: wing network, and you don't want to you hear this
0: you. stuff. Here's how Roger Ailes described Fox at the time of its inception in an Esquire interview. I'll tell you what television didn't do at the time it didn't reflect what people really thought. I mean, they're sitting there saying, wait a minute, New York's going broke. Los Angeles is broke. The United States is broke. Everything the government has run is broke. Social security is broke. Medicare is broke. The military is broke. Why do we want these guys making decisions for us? End quote. If you listen closely, it actually has echoes of Nikki Haley's presidential campaign announcement for 2024 with her whole message of, we lose all the time. Everybody hates us. No wonder we can't get elected.
1: Republicans have lost the popular vote in seven out of the last eight presidential
0: elections. But back to 1996. Fox debuted with a lineup of anchors that included Brit Hume, Catherine Cryer, and Tony Snow. Well before the days of Fox and Friends, the network's early programming included news coverage, political commentary, and talk shows. And from the beginning, they tried to position themselves as fair and balanced. That's in contrast to Roger Ailes' Nixon-inspired, brutal, vicious attacks on the opposition. But the greater point is, in the beginning, they really seemed to want to cultivate legitimacy as an alternative to the other news networks, given that the mainstream media was perceived to have a bit of a liberal bias. So Fox positioned themselves as doing the same thing, but from the other side. That is why Roger Ailes is so critical to Fox News, because his very specific set of skills included crafting a message that would resonate with conservatives and make them feel part of the conversation. As a result, Fox was able to cultivate a huge audience within the first five years. But at the same time, their big challenge was gaining acceptance within the media establishment, which viewed them as a partisan outlet.
1: You must be doing something. I'm doing you, Bill. The New- they hate me. The New York Times hates me, but
0: they love you. It's the New York Times, but what's Bill? the difference? You're hate hated George hate Bush. Of course they're going to hate you. <laughs> they're haters, Bill. They are. They're scum. Gaining clout was not their only challenge, though. Like I mentioned earlier, Rupert Murdoch ended up paying the cable companies $20 a subscriber to carry Fox. The point being that actually getting into people's homes was its own challenge. Unsurprisingly, though, Roger Ailes ran with a shady crowd. And together, he and Rupert Murdoch knew people who could get it done. In this case, we can thank Rudy Giuliani, of all people, for getting Fox News on the air in New York City. By 1997, which is when Time Warner was refusing to carry Fox in New York City, Roger Ailes and Giuliani had been friends for a while because he had actually run Giuliani's first unsuccessful bid for New York City mayor in 1989. So they remained fast friends. Come 1997, Giuliani was the mayor. Time Warner was refusing to carry Fox News in its cable package. So Giuliani then threatened to carry the channel on the city's public access station. So, top Murdoch executives, including Roger Ailes, spoke more than two dozen times at City Hall to try to coordinate a strategy, but the coordination was too cozy for the federal judge who was ruling on this case. They said that the city's purpose in acting to compel Time Warner to give Fox one of its commercial channels was a reward to a friend, obviously Giuliani to Ailes, and to further a particular viewpoint— as a consequence, Fox was the recipient of special advocacy. The city has engaged in a pattern of conduct with the purpose of compelling Time Warner to alter its constitutionally protected editorial decision not to carry Fox News. The city's actions violated long-standing First Amendment principles that are the foundation of our democracy. So basically, they won the case, but nonetheless, Time Warner eventually gave in. Later on, Roger Ells and Fox News more than repaid the favor for Giuliani, allegedly. It's kind of a convoluted story, but here's the baseline of what happened. In the early 2000s, Giuliani was trying to run for president. However, one of his deputies, a man named Bernard Carrick, whose name you might randomly uh, recognize from that Hulu documentary, Stolen Youth, he's a real guy. So he was Giuliani's, like, number two. Carrick was having an affair with his book editor. His book editor worked at HarperCollins, which was owned by Murdoch's company. So basically, there was a federal investigation at a later time into Bernard Carrick, and they, uh, Murdoch and Ailes encouraged their employee, this woman Judith Reagan, the book editor, to lie about her affair with Bernard Carrick (laughs) and say she didn't have one, so that Giuliani would not get in trouble because he was working with him. So you can see how times have changed that an affair like that would do anything to derail a presidential campaign. But ultimately my point is that this is a little bit of a club where they're looking out for each other. Ironically enough, it was a certain someone else's affair that landed Fox News at the center of the cultural zeitgeist. I'm of course talking about Bill Clinton and his inability to keep it in his pants.
1: I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Ms. Lewinsky.
0: Purely from a business standpoint, going after Bill Clinton with the same hypocritical zeal as House Republicans did proved to be a smart move market-wise. By 1999, the year after the impeachment, Fox Broadcasting Company was out in front of all the major networks in terms of audience growth and advertising gains. The company then bought out half of Liberty Media's remaining holdings in Fox Sports for $1.425 billion. That allowed it to consolidate the sports and cable interest into one entity— Fox News was quickly growing and established itself as a significant force in cable news for a loyal audience of conservative viewers. And by 2000, it was on its way to becoming the top-rated cable news network. However, here's where I have to point out that it is quite interesting that Fox chose to go in so hard on Clinton when he turned the spotlight on its own CEO, Roger Ailes, and his deliances. And while, yes, projection is a key strategy that they continue to employ to this day— Ailes' reign at Fox went well beyond just sexual harassment. It was one of extreme control. Murdoch may have been the money, but Ailes was personally responsible for shaping it both as a broadcast and as a company. And as always, the fish rots from the head. We gotta take a pause in the historical retelling of Fox and talk about the culture that Roger Ailes built, because that is ultimately what has informed the network until this very day. Here's Roger Ailes' biographer, Gabriel Sherman, talking about Ailes' mission at Fox.
1: Roger Ailes is a charismatic, towering figure. He runs Fox News, or he ran, I should say, as a cult of personality, and he believes uh, deep in his heart, as as he said to people many times, that he needs to save America, that Fox News was his megaphone to change and save America and preserve the republic. What Roger Ailes did when he created Fox News was to create a television news network that was anti-journalism. And so what he did with Fox News was to create it as a political campaign that would run against the American media, that would convince millions of Americans not to trust the mainstream, so-called mainstream uh, media, and that Fox News would be the only place on television where you could find the truth. It was a brilliant marketing and political message that created a loyal core of viewers. And so the impact that it's had on American life over the last 20 years is almost impossible to overstate.
0: Critical to Fox's success was making sure that conservatism was in the organization's DNA. To build the staff, Roger Ailes mirrored tactics that were used to get Fox on the air in the first place. The executive who Ailes displaced to become head of the network in the first place, Joe Peyronin, told Rolling Stone that, quote, there was a litmus test. He was going to figure out who was liberal or conservative when he came in and try to get rid of the liberals. And he said that when he suspected a journalist wasn't far enough to the right for his tastes, he'd spring an accusation asking, why are you a liberal? And if staffers had in the past worked at one of the major news networks, Roger would force them to defend working at somewhere like CBS, calling it the communist broadcast system. And to replace the veteran journalist that Roger fired when he first came to run the network, he brought in droves of inexperienced up-and-coming journalists ensuring that they were either conservative or impressionable and young enough to become influenced by him. And everyone knows that a controlling ideology doesn't just happen in a vacuum. It's also about controlling the lives and minds of the people in the organization. Gabriel Sherman reported that Ailes, quote, ruled Fox News like a surveillance state noting that he instructed the head of engineering at Fox to place closed circuit cameras in various locations that would allow Ailes to monitor the goings-on in offices, studios, green rooms, the back entrance of the network's Midtown Manhattan headquarters, and Ailes' own homes. He was known to be quite a paranoid man in general, and one former Fox News producer named Charlie Braina described it as though we were looking at Mao. A former executive at Fox's parent company, News Corp., echoed the sentiment by saying, It was like the Soviet Union or China. People are always looking over their shoulders. There are people who would turn people in. When it came to actual journalism, the book Murdoch's World, The Last of the Old Media Empires by David Follen provides some insight into how that whole process was run. He said that Murdoch would run real journalists through the ringer and even feed them fake stories with fake inside sources that would leave journalists looking like idiots. In one anecdote, a journalist writing for Crane's New York business named Matthew Flam recounted being fed a story by a name source who was calling from within Fox News. Then when he ran the story, the information turned out to be false and Flam then reached out to that source to find out only that that Hotmail account from which it came had disappeared. Former Fox PR staff members also admitted to employing about 20 different aliases to write pro-Fox rants and blog comments. They're like the Sunday Riley of news. And of course, we have to mention the pervasive sexual harassment. I'm gonna go into this much more later when I talk about the Me Too movement, but just to speak to how imbued it was in the culture, Roger Ailes had an assistant named Judy Leturza. She was paid $2 million per year for her sensitive work, which actually just included identifying attractive young women, setting them up for appointments with Roger Ailes, fabricating a log of his visitors so that he wouldn't get caught. And she once got Fox's PR chief fired for saying that damaging anecdotes about his conduct could become public which ultimately was true of Megyn Kelly later on. Leturza was so key to Roger Ailes that when he resigned, she left with a $40 million severance package. You might be wondering, where was HR in all of this? Ultimately, Roger Ailes was able to get away with doing all that he did because he ran the most profitable and therefore the least accountable entity within News Corp. According to journalist Michael Wolf, who spent nine months embedded at News Corp researching a biography of Rupert Murdoch, he said, quote, Murdoch has almost no involvement at all. People are afraid of Roger. Murdoch is himself afraid of Roger. He has amassed enormous power within the company and within the country from the success of Fox News.
1: This number is called hanging Chads.
0: Fox's next big moment in the sun was the 2000 presidential election of Bush first score while that election result was ultimately decided by the Supreme Court, Fox News definitely played a role in how that played out. On election night, they prematurely announced that George Bush had been elected president, which then prompted every other network to follow suit.
1: Michael Barone, Michael, got to interrupt you. We are now calling, Fox News now projects, George W. Bush, the winner in Florida, and thus it appears the winner of the presidency of the United States. Fox News rejects George W. Bush, the winner of the presidency of the United States, based on the call we now make in the
0: state of Florida. I would argue that the most important thing to know about this anecdote is that the person who actually made the call for Bush at the Fox News decision desk was his own cousin. As John Prescott Ellis was leading the Fox News decision desk that night, he was also on the phone with his cousins, Jeb, the governor of Florida at the time, and George W. Bush, the presidential candidate himself. And he was giving them updated assessments on the vote count, according to reporting from the Washington Post at the time. Now, this would be one question if John Prescott Ellis had declared himself above bias and that he was going to be fair, independent of his family ties. But instead, according to Rolling Stone, John Ellis was hired to call the vote for Fox News after he had already recused himself from covering the campaign in his role as a columnist at the Boston Globe, he wrote in his own column, quote, There is no way for you to know if I'm telling you the truth about George W. Bush's presidential campaign, because in his case, my loyalty goes to him and not to you, end quote. Then just months later, John Ellis was on Fox News, calling Florida for his cousin at 2.16 a.m., which ultimately led that call to be followed by NBC, CBS, CNN, and ABC within four minutes. However, that decision turned out to be wrong, and was later attracted by all of the networks less than two hours later. But by then, people had already believed that George Bush had won the White House. Sounds like it could have been some inspiration for Trump's Red Mirage strategy. Regardless of that call though, the 2000 election was just as much a victory for Fox News as it was for George Bush. They were available by then in 56 million homes and saw a 440% increase in viewers, which at the time was the biggest gain among the three cable news television networks.
1: All the, oh my goodness,
0: all the networks.
1: Wow,
0: all the networks. Now that the tone had been set culturally, both by the presidency and at the network, The 2000s was when Fox really formed into the entity that we know it as today, with all that incredible talent that they beam into America's homes. Now with a Republican president, plus 9-11 and the opportunity for them to push Islamophobia and faux patriotism during the Iraq war, they really began to own the whole concept of freedom. And this really fed their brand, as they were the ones aligned with the zeitgeist at the time. Unlike now, they're the counterculture. They became the leading voice in the so-called culture wars and provided a platform for conservative commentators. This is when talent really became key to their brand. Borrowing a tactic from conservative radio, people weren't just watching to hear a conservative point of view. They were watching to hear that point of view from particular hosts who they were really diehard for. The pioneer of that on Fox News was Bill O'Reilly. In 2003, the network launched The O'Reilly Factor.
1: Caution, you're about to enter a no-spin zone. Factor fact, it begins right
0: now. His show quickly became one of the network's most popular programs, and Bill O'Reilly one of the most prominent figures in conservative media. That is until his show became mired in sexual harassment allegations in 2017. More on that network-wide ordeal later. Another popular show was Sean Hannity and Alan Colmes. Alan Colmes, who you may not remember because I totally forgot about him, was the mild-mannered and moderately liberal sparring partner to the ultra-conservative Sean Hannity. That was how Fox News was going about their efforts to fulfill their fair and balanced mission statement. But after Colmes died in 2017, Sean Hannity became a one-man show with his own segment on Fox News. Now that his liberal counterpart was gone and Trump was in office, Hannity had free reign. Here's what Matthew Sheffield, the co-founder of a right-wing media outlet and frequent guest on the Fox network, had to say about Hannity. The fundamental thing about Hannity is he's not an ideas guy. He's a cheerleader. Hannity is not a creative person. He just wants to have the same guests on all the time talking about the same things. And for the more angry, reactionary Christian types, that's just not enough for them anymore. They want more anger, more ambitiousness.
1: It is grotesquely unfair to it use is these grotesque. anecdotes it's happening. to make a, a political argument. H- Heraldo, I, you, you, I, the you, start, you start. You started by saying we have agreement about the wall, the barrier, the fence, whatever Fine. you call it. I think that this is a, now a political discussion. To Democrats die. have earned. How many Let people me finish
0: one sentence? How many Democrats people have, have to die? Earned- and of course, there's Fox and Friends. Fox & Friends is their morning show where they do the culture war stuff, but they do it with a smile. It's very breezy, light conversation, and the hosts are known for putting a positive spin on how they try to scare the shit out of you. If you're not a Fox & Friends watcher, I don't recommend becoming one, but I'm just going to play a clip to demonstrate the kind of content you might find there. Just throwing another tire on the fire for global
1: warming, Mr. Krabs. (laughs) Okay wow. so uh what happened uh, July 20th the department of education invited a bunch of DC kids in and they had this uh, festivity and they handed out these these uh, particular nickelodeon books where clearly nickelodeon is pushing a global warming agenda and while there is no disputing the fact that the earth is getting a little warmer. The big question is, is it man-made, or is it just one of those gigantic, climactic, you know, phases that we're going, for a while we're cold, and then we get warmer, and then we get colder and warmer. Is it? Which one is it? The science on both sides, there are a lot of scientists who say it's this, others say it's that.
0: And outside of its main shows, Fox News is kind of the perfect place for conservative has-beens to land. They'll take your Michelle Bachman's, your Paul Ryan's, your Newt Gingrich's, your Rick Santorum's. The revolving door between the Republican Party and Fox News is quite unique. Rarely do you see a door quite so automatic outside of K Street. And honestly, they'll take anyone, as long as you're hot and build a national profile. That's if you're a woman. If you're a man, no one cares if you're hot. For example, in 2011, Fox announced that they had signed former Republican vice presidential candidate Sarah Palin as a contributor, to bless the most watched cable news station in the country with her insights.
1: You betcha. No more pussyfooting around. Can I get a hallelujah? It's really ticking people off. They are so busted. Well, and then funny. Ha ha. Not funny. Oh, my goodness gracious. You know, they stomp on our neck and then they tell us, just chill right wing and bitter-clinging, proud-clingers of our guns, our God, our, and our religions, and our Constitution.
0: Just as a side note, that clip I just played was a compilation from a YouTube video called Sarah Palin Endorses Donald Trump, Her Best Bits. If you're bored and looking to laugh at something, I highly recommend watching that video so that you can see Trump's face while she is saying these ridiculous things that I just played.
1: Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can.
0: I think you know where we're going with this one. When Obama was elected in 2008 was when Fox News really took it to another level. By 2010, they were pretty much fully aligned with the Fox News we know today. But nonetheless, they continued to be the most watched cable news network, with shows like the O'Reilly Factor and Hannity dominating their time slots. In May 2010, the channel drew an average daily primetime audience of 1.8 million viewers versus 747,000 for MSNBC and 595,000 for CNN. Not a lot of people are watching this. Honestly, you're probably getting more views on TikTok if you're doing it right. But either way, even Obama admitted to the influence of Fox News. At a leadership summit, he said, if I watch Fox News, I wouldn't vote for me. I would watch it and say, who is that guy? The character Barack was portrayed in weird ways. The point is, you get multiple realities. In another interview with The 19th, he said that he has spoken about this before, but if you watch Fox News, you perceive a different reality than if you read The New York Times, and those differences have been amplified by social media, which allows people to live in the bubbles with other people who think like them. Even though Obama recognized this dynamic, he still had to play the game. Here's a clip from an interview that Obama did with Bill O'Reilly, just to get a feel of how high the tensions were between the White House and Fox News at the time.
1: Some people are saying is that the IRS was used yeah. at, a, at a local level in Cincinnati, maybe other places, to Absolutely go out. Absolutely wrong. But
0: Absolutely. how do you know
1: that? Because we, we still don't know what happened. There. Bill, uh, we do. That, that's not what happened. They, folks have, again, had multiple hearings on this. I mean, these kinds of things keep on surfacing, in part because you and your TV station will promote them. But, don't, but, but when don't folks you actually, there are unanswered questions? Uh, Bill, when you actually look at the stuff, there have been multiple hearings on it.
0: Miraculously, Fox News made it through two whole terms of Obama without dying in the race war that they swore was about to start any minute, only to find themselves fighting another battle, the consequences of their own actions. The first murmurs of controversy began in 2015, when it was revealed that host Bill O'Reilly had settled several sexual harassment lawsuits, though the loop on that story wasn't closed until 2017 when a New York Times investigation found that O'Reilly and Fox News had paid $13 million in total to five women who had worked or appeared on The O'Reilly Factor, who had made claims of sexual harassment or other inappropriate behavior. The big bombshell, though, no pun intended, were the accusations against Roger Ailes that came in 2016, starting with a lawsuit from Gretchen Carlson, one of the hosts of Fox & Friends. Following that, six other women came forward and claimed that Roger Ailes harassed them, Including former primetime anchor Megyn Kelly and Fox News contributor Julie Roginsky, Julie Roginsky didn't just blame Roger Ailes, though. She also made allegations against Fox News co-president Bill Shine that he had retaliated against her for making the sexual harassment claim. Shine was also accused in a separate lawsuit by Andrea Tantaros, a former host of the Fox Show The Five, alleging that he and other network executives had waged an extensive online harassment campaign against her. In the years since, dozens of accusations have come tumbling out against various people on the network, including Tucker Carlson, Howard Kurtz, Kimberly Guilfoyle for allegedly showing colleagues photographs of male genitals, discussing sexual matters at work, and being emotionally abusive, as well as against news anchor Ed Henry and Fox News Latino Vice President Francisco Cortez. The allegations made against him by a former on-air contributor, Tamara N. Holder, resulted in the network paying her $2.5 million after she said that he tried to coerce her into performing oral sex on him. And just to demonstrate the point that this was a real pattern in practice everywhere in the company, even the president of Fox Sports Networks, Jamie Horowitz, was abruptly ousted in 2017 after allegations of sexual harassment. Ultimately though, I would argue that the biggest consequence of the Me Too movement for Fox was the ouster of Roger Ailes and his death 10 months later. But that was not before Roger Ailes could have a much bigger effect on the rest of us. That's because it was Roger Ailes who ultimately allowed Trump to use the network as his microphone during his campaign, encouraging him to call into Fox and Friends in the mornings, where he would ultimately set the headlines for the day.
1: His father was with Lee Harvey Oswald prior to Oswald's being... Uh, you know shot I mean the whole thing is ridiculous. What, what? What is this right prior to his being shot and nobody even brings it up I mean, they don't even talk about that that was reported uh, and nobody talks about it But I think it's horrible right there was a picture out there that reportedly shows um, uh, Raphael Cruz standing with Lee Harvey Oswald I mean, what, I was, he he doing with, what um, was he doing with Lee Harvey Oswald right. shortly before the death uh, before the shooting? It's, it's Crazy. horrible
0: At the same time, though, Ailes' own intense gunning for Trump arguably contributed to his own downfall. The dynamic was such that in 2015, Rupert Murdoch was not a huge Trump fan, and neither were his sons, who have been gaining influence since Murdoch has been aging. On top of that, the Murdoch sons also weren't particularly big fans of Roger Ailes either. So after the Gretchen Carlson lawsuit dropped, posing a major risk to the company that ultimately they own and Roger Ailes doesn't, Fox was doing an internal investigation into sexual harassment. They already knew, though, that Ailes had harassed Megyn Kelly as well. And at the time, she herself was not thrilled with Roger Ailes, given how he had sided with Trump in her own feud.
1: Your Twitter account Only Rosie O'Donnell.
0: The fact is, she asked
1: me a very inappropriate question. She she should really be apologizing to me. You want to know the truth. You can see there was blood coming out of her eyes. Uh, Blood coming out of her wherever.
0: Based on the reporting of how it played out, it definitely appears that Ailes' refusal to defend Megyn Kelly against Donald Trump made it much easier for the young Murdochs to convince her to retell her account of sexual harassment to the law firm that was already investigating Ailes within Fox. Ultimately, the Murdochs pushing her to tell on him might have been the final straw for him. But by then, the rest of our fates had already been sealed. And the
1: crime, and the gangs, and the drugs that have stolen too many lives and robbed our country of so much unrealized potential. This American carnage stops
0: right here and stops right now. It's basically impossible to argue that Donald Trump could have won the presidency without the backing of Fox News, thanks to the convincing of Roger Ailes. And once they were all in on him, it was clear that they were not going to back down, no matter how far he was going to push the boundaries, even to a coup in the end. I don't really want to go that deep into the Trump administration's greatest hits. I think we all remember the caravan, we all remember the government shutdown, the impeachment, the Russia hoax, Dr. Fauci, Bill Gates, the defense of family separation, the list goes on. So before I conclude with their ultimate turn, I want to call back a little-known lawsuit from 2020. Tucker Carlson was sued by the Playboy model Karen McDougall for defamation. I know it's hard to keep track of Trump's affairs, but Karen McDougall was one of the women who had sex with Trump and then was paid to be quiet about it. Sort of like Stormy Daniels' understudy. So in the course of that news story, Tucker Carlson says something on his show and she sues him for defamation. And while ultimately he won the trial, it came with the condition that Fox News had to agree with a statement written by a judge that said, quote, Such statements are just one type of rhetorical hyperbole normally associated with politics and public discourse in the United States. Essentially, Tucker Carlson was able to get out of the defamation suit by admitting that he was using hyperbole. So there you have Tucker Carlson making a legal admission that what he says on his show is not necessarily the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But his viewers don't know that. His viewers believe that they are watching the actual news, like the hard facts. And there are some serious consequences of this when it comes to the viewers' notions of reality.
1: Biden's affection is totally real. It's in no way part of a slick PR campaign devised by cynical consultants determined to hide the president's senility by misdirection. (laughs) Not at
0: all. Their love is as real as climate change. In 2012, a Fairleigh Dickinson University survey reported that Fox News viewers were less informed about current events than people who didn't follow the news at all. And then in 2022, a study that is currently under peer review was conducted by two political scientists at Stanford and Yale, where they actually recruited a sample of regular Fox viewers to watch CNN. They found that CNN produced substantial learning and moderated their attitudes, ultimately finding that news content can both increase or decrease polarization. And this is because Fox News is actually saying things that are wrong. I have another study as an example. In 2013, Media Matters for America looked at statements made on Fox News compared to other networks and other publications regarding climate science. They found that over the course of two months in 2013, and it has only gotten worse since then, on Fox News, 69% of guests and 75% of mentions cast out on climate science. That's compared with half of those quoted in the Wall Street Journal, 29% in the Los Angeles Times, 17% in the Washington Post, and 12% in Bloomberg News. So as you can see, this has all been building for a while now. Which brings me to the pro-insurrection pivot. You know by now that Fox News ultimately decided to go full insurrection, which has now landed them with a potential $1.6 billion defamation suit. Longtime host and commentator Lou Dobbs was already fired by Fox after Smartmatic sued the network. But it seems like as far as they're concerned, their talent is really just a small casualty to sacrifice at the altar of keeping their audience. I could do an entirely separate deep dive into the Dominion lawsuit if that's something that interests you, but I want to just answer two more important questions before we go and we're getting long. The first is, why aren't we able to get around Fox News? Can't we just ignore them? Sadly, the answer is no. Here's an explanation from former Obama communications staffer Dan Pfeiffer, who wrote a book last year focusing on Fox News called Battling the Big Lie. In an interview from last year with the Washington Post, he described that when he worked at the White House, the right-wing operation existed, but it was a fraction of the size. Their biggest concern at the time was not what was on Fox, it was that Fox was helping determine what the rest of the press was covering. In that interview, the columnist Greg Sargent described it as, the right-wing media also exerts gravitational pull on the mainstream media. It's almost a deviously designed self-reinforcing loop. Right-wing media and Republican politicians beat up on mainstream media for not covering the concerns of real Americans, as expressed through the right-wing media, which in turn leads major news organizations to say, we'd better pay closer attention to what's on Fox, which in turn allows right-wing disinformation to pollute the mainstream news information environment. Because on
1: some level, even Tony Fauci knows that Tony Fauci is in fact a dangerous fraud. A man who has done things that in most countries, at most times in history, would be understood perfectly clearly to be very serious crimes. So it's possible that Tony Fauci might want to resign before he has to explain all of that to a new Congress. He might want to get out of town now and move to, say, Cambridge. Find a safe place to hide before the reckoning. Just
0: a thought. Because honestly, there's a lot to answer for. All right, enough of that bullshit. For our final question, you might be wondering. Rupert Murdoch is old as fuck. What's going to happen if and when Murdoch hands over the reins? Generally, of the two sons, James Murdoch is considered to be the more liberal one. Who would have been more likely to take Fox News into at least a more centrist direction? Unfortunately, though, according to New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman, it appears that Murdoch's other son, Lachlan, the more conservative one, is going to be taking over the company in the future. However, according to New York Times journalist Jim Rutenberg, the next few years could help determine the direction of the Fox empire. Because as the way it's set up now, it is a family board with him and his children. Rupert can't be outvoted, but once he dies, each child will have an equal vote. So the company could conceivably see some sort of battle if they aren't able to arrive at the proper conclusion about the direction they want to go in. Though by all accounts, it doesn't appear that they'll be turning this ship anytime soon. And of course, we have to see what happens with the Dominion lawsuit. So stay tuned. That is it for our episode of Extra Extra today. I hope you enjoyed this history of Fox News. I hope it was enlightening. Of course, please let me know what you think of the show or anything else you might want me to look into. You can leave a review or you can DM me directly. Although I would really love a review even if you do DM me directly. Also, it really makes me so happy when I hear that you told your friends about it. When I get a message that says, "You know, my friend told me to listen to you and then I did and now I listen every day. That is one of my favorite things to hear. So I am extremely grateful to those of you who tell your friends about the show. So that is a wrap for today. Until next time, I'm Sammy Sage. And now you know what the fuck is really going on. Betches.